0: Hi there, welcome to the RA Exchange. I'm Marcus Barnes. It's Thursday, the 27th of January, 2022, and we're here in the RA Studios in London. I'm joined by Henny G, who I would describe as a pioneer of sorts, a guy who's been around for quite some time, who's an influential figure, and he's still doing this thing. And it's a pleasure to be sat here chatting with him right now. Henny, thanks for joining me. Oh my God, I'm blushing, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. That's That's a nice intro, man. Really All good, nice. man. All good. Well deserved as well. So um, we were just saying it's been nine years since we last actually sat down and chatted and actually since we last saw each other, Literally. which is insane. Mm. Um, and in that nine years, obviously a lot's gone on for you. A lot's gone on for me. A lot has gone on in the world. Yeah. Usually I start at the beginning and say, what was the spark that got you into music? But I really want to get to know what you're up to now and like mm. um, what projects you're involved in. I remember... And through some of the conversations that we've had over the last few years, you were doing some directing. Mm-hmm. You've been involved in youth work mm-hmm. and you've been working on a second album. So mm-hmm. any of those three points that you want to touch on or anything else outside of that that you feel is of, particularly of interest at the present moment? Yeah. Um, no, thanks, man. Uh, you know, one probably one of the best
1: ways that I can answer that. I mean, again, you know, so much has happened in, you know, the nine years and... You know, prior to 2013, when my debut album came out, literally, I was just gigging every single week, sometimes three or four times in one night. Um, But yeah, after my album, you know, I probably had about a year or two where it was all right, and then things started to really, really quiet down. But in my mind, as an artist, you know, I was already on to the next move Mm. of my projects. I was like, right, you know, I want to do the second album and not forcing it, I want it to be something that's natural. Now again, you know, you make an album, you think it's going to be this easy thing, and it really isn't, because I, there's no way in the world where I would want to write something that's been done before. I'm like, right, how can I take this to the to the second level? Mm. Um, and just being around um, people who are not necessarily from my generation has been a revelation to me. And I would say, you know, with the people who I've been around, which obviously we'll get into a little bit later, mm. that is really, I would say it's literally saved my my artistry. Wow. In in Yeah, in many ways. So so I, I just feel really grateful that I'm in the situation that I'm in now. But, yeah, the youth work thing was was um, something that I always wanted to get into. Yeah. Even before my name got recognised anywhere. But for some reason, uh, well, the reason was is that I, I was... Involved in the industry and yeah. I was running, you know, part radio stations, um, I mean, in, in the 10 years, even to point in into that. Um, so I, I was on Rinse FM between 2006 and around 2008, nine, that little period there. And I was thinking to myself, you know, basically like the whole Rinse situation, it came to an end. And at the time it really hurt my feelings, you know, because mm. Rince Rinse FM is like, you know, like at that point in time, I mean they're a legal radio station now. At that time there was a pirate station, but they were like one of the you know the serious pirate stations yeah, of man. its of its time. They were very influential. And and to be honest with you, without Rince, I really don't think my career would have elevated to where mm-hmm. it got to. Um but you know, Genius, the way how he was, you know, operating the station, it was like he had this thing called destroy and rebuild. Yeah. Now, looking back in hindsight, I've got to be honest, maybe musically and maybe the the hunger and the desire was there, but I wasn't really like the most organized person (laughs) in the world. And, you know, it was a bit deep because I was like running another pirate radio station Mm. at the same time whilst I was playing on Rinse, which was Reactive Femme. So this is where, you know, people like Rusko Mm -hmm. came through or, you know, um, you know, Antisocial for that matter, Silky and Quest, Um, you know, many others. And that 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 was like a real, I don't know, what, I don't know the word that I'm trying to find at the moment. That was, a, it was, it was success mm-hmm. because Rince was V Station, and whilst I was playing on there as a DJ, but it's like I felt bad because there were so much people that like came up to me and was like, "Bro, I beg you, get me on Rince." And mm. I'm like, "I don't run that station. Yeah. I'm just a DJ on there." Yeah. And my heart was bleeding, so you know, Reacted started like years beforehand, um, like in 2003, and I got bought into that by a guy called DJ Remedy, and me was running that. But this, you know, pirate stations, if you don't have a lot of money involved, you're, yeah. you're going to be on air, off air, on air, yep. off air. But you know, a little bit of money started coming through, and a few other people started um, helping me out, and then we got the station back on. And yeah, we, we was quite successful uh, successful with that. But when I say successful, I'm just talking about the competition between Rince, which was a force, whereas yeah. we was like a broke station, but the talent <laughs> was just shining through. But um, I left that operation around 2008. I mm. took a year out. You know, I did Radio One with like Marianne Hobbs. I did Kiss 100 a few times with with Hatcher and even did a whole cover show with just me and Crazy D. Nice. Which still to this yeah. day, which is one of the greatest things I've ever done because I love radio so much yeah, and I love yeah, the yeah. whole Kiss 100 story. But then, you know, when that kind of dried up, I was still touring, but I just missed radio. So mm. I got involved in a station called Flex FM. But whereas I was a part of Flex, now I was like, right, how can we bring interesting or like just diverse artists onto the station? And not just dubstep artists, I'm talking about pretty much across the board yeah. within electronic dance music. You know, one thing um, led on to another and... Uh, they started having the conversations of applying for a licence. I mean by this time now we'd done a documentary with um a guy called Ewan Spencer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Called uh do you remember the documentary Brandy and Coke? Yeah, the man. UK Garage. So yeah, yeah. I Don't know if you looked at it properly, but I was on there part of the 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 Flex FM team on the roof talking about keys and tower blocks and yeah, man. and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um uh, we did BBC News Night. I think that was in 2015. Nice. And that kind of elevated us, and we was going through a lot of stuff, but we just had this determination because there was quite a lot of us. I think there was, like, ten of us. And I remember um, Carlos, who owned the station at the time, he was like, I think we should go for a licence. And I remember initially saying, you're mad. Like, that's licence? We don't need to do that. But then I, I immediately corrected, but I had to check myself, and I was like, well, hold on, Rince did it. Mm. Why can't we? Because we still had a calibre of you know, a handful of DJs that were on a level, which I believed in and I was like really passionate about. So we stuck together we pushed through, they got the license application together whilst I was like running the station. And before you knew it, we won the license, man. It, man. And that was like a big thing because if you go back in history before Rinse, so you know, you got Kiss FM 1990, yeah. Yeah. Rinse FM 2010 and then Flex FM 2017. Yeah, so man. to be a part of that history, you know, you, big. you come away from me as a producer, come away as me as a DJ, just to be involved in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it gets celebrated enough. And not just on
0: my part, but just on Flex Fem's yeah, part, because it yeah. was a huge, huge achievement. I remember so, seeing that on your socials, man, yeah, being yeah. like, boom, like, I didn't even know that you guys were in that process. And yeah. I was like, wow, Yeah, yeah, because cool,
1: we, we didn't really say anything <laughs> online. We just like, I wouldn't say like we kept it a secret, but you know, there was like a focus of, yeah, yeah. right, we just need to get this done. And I remember, on, do you know what? I posted that up on my social media that day. <laughs> I, I won't mention the number of likes that I got, but let's just say since that day, I've never received that, that, <laughs> that attention
0: again. That's a really incredible historic achievement. And I'm assuming that you were part of the driving force behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was
1: I was running their social media cool. from home. So it was almost like I had my own home office running because... At the time when we was a pirate station, we didn't have an office. We just had the studio. But uh, but the A and R thing was my thing. Right. Artists and recruitment for the station that was that was my thing really. I think if I really bring it back, and I, I it's taken me a long time for me to really start pointing the dots together. Um, and through this project, which again, you know, hopefully we'll talk about a little bit later on, a documentary that I'm writing, producing, and directing based on Pirate Radio. But um, my dad was like 45 years old when I was born so he was like old you know um, but he loved music and he was like a uh, like a former band member in a band called the Lions in the 60s they had like a publishing door he got ripped off <laughs> that was that so you know when I was growing up he was always giving me advice I'll watch out for this watch out for that but we would like like on a Saturday we would um, get in the car and my mum would be like right so i'm from hammersmith mm-hmm. and shepherd's bush like i think yeah at this time we were still living in shepherd's bush so this is like pre-92 so this is like between 89 and 99 and so i'm really young i'm i'm like four or five years old but i don't know i was a weird child i would get in the car i would always say my mom, mom let me get in the front let me get in the front because all i wanted to do is just get to the car stereo i was just <laughs> fascinated with just tuning um you know the stereo and then my dad would let me play with the stereo and stuff and then I'd find a station would be like, right, leave it there. And probably one of the earliest stations that I can remember was a station called LWR. Yeah, man. Huge, yeah. huge, huge station. So it was like R&B, mm-hmm. funk, soul, boogie. Um, yeah, even hip hop mm-hmm. as well. Like a lot of hip, it's, it's weird. Like I had B-Sky B in my house in the very late 80s, early 90s. And I remember no other kid had that in my school. So I was like, like I don't know, maybe they looked at me as the rich kid, which I really wasn't. I really weren't. But we had Sky. So we had yo MTV raps. Yeah, so man. I would watch like Fab Fry Freddy and you know see all like, you know, NWA or whatever that was coming out. So I associated that sound mm-hmm. with what I was hearing on the radio. Right. So I would pick up on to that. But that's still very vague in my mind. But um I would say, yeah, Weekend Rush and Call, they were the two stations that that was it. Yeah, like man. there was no going back. Because you know what? I, I said this to someone the other day. When I first heard that music, I was scared. <laughs> I didn't understand what was going on. But there was like moments in those tracks where, like you know, the chords, yeah, or the you know, like the melody would would just appear. And and most importantly, the samples, yeah, because it would fascinate yeah. me. Like how did they get that sample on that record? And and I'll I'll like, I'll be working it out in my head as mm. a child. I can remember it. You know. So yeah, but I, w- I would say, I mean, we can rush. I'm not going to sit there and say that I listened to it all day, every day. Um, I had family members that used to shout and rave about that station, but Call FM, mm. that was the school. Yeah, you, yeah. Th- there's there's no denying that. Call FM, all day, every day. Yeah, man. You know, listening to DJs like DJ Ron and SL, you know, DJ Wildchild. Um, sometimes I'd hear like DJ Dexterous on there. Mm, yeah, man. Um, you know, Navigator, yeah. you know, Moose, Five-O, um, Raga Twins. Yeah, man. And you know, by the time I, re- I remember, like my mum, she used to um work as a nurse. She was a staff nurse, so sometimes she had to work um, nights. Mm-hmm. So my dad used to like drive minicabs at night time. So he had to work nights. So I had to go to auntie's house. So I'd say at auntie's house, and probably like the the Easter holidays or summer holidays i will like not get sent to like a camp or something like that. But it'll be like adventure playground, yeah, or play man. center, yeah, yeah. And all of the people that worked at the play centers were all cool. They were all into jungle, so they would have <laughs> a ghetto blaster nice. playing Call cool of M tapes or playing the radio or something along them lines. And probably one of my earliest memories was hearing M beats incredible. Yeah, just literally man. take over the world. Like yeah. you could not get away no, from that song. You could not get. A- and you know what? Can I say this? As much as that song has been rinsed or it's been overplayed and whatnot, I tell you something. I still think that song, that track, is outstanding. Indeed, big, it is. Man. Mb yeah. is an unsung hero. Big like time. the guy did. So he, you know, um, Clayton from Renegade Hardware and mm. Travel on Vinyl, he said he he wrote something on um, on Facebook a few years ago, and he said Mb was the first jungle superstar. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense yeah, when yeah, he said yeah. that. You know. But I just remember hearing that, but probably one of the tracks um, that I heard from Call cool of FM, and you know what, I'm not ashamed to say it, for years and years and years and years, I was trying to find out, what is this track called? And there's a track called Jazz Note. By yeah, DJ Cross. man. Du-du-dum, yep. du-du-dum, du-du-dum. When I heard that, I mean, the, even the hairs on my arms right now, <laughs> I was just absolutely fascinated with that. And, and I think from that moment, There on was I was like, okay, whatever this is, I just wanna be
0: Mm -hmm. a
1: part of it. So Call of F M definitely um changed my life, no doubt about it. And I knew and I knew that at a young age as well.
0: I don't think either of us would be sitting here now if it wasn't for Call of Fm. Yeah. And that's like that's that's not like I'm not exaggerating. That's like a thirty one years old this year. That's crazy, isn't it? It's nuts. Wow, man. Yeah, like I was just I was just taping and taping like every week, but I'd be like taping over taping. Memorex, TDK,
1: <laughs> getting probably getting mum and dad's tapes
0: and yeah. putting like the tissue paper, or the yeah, tape yeah, on top of 100%, it. Man, yeah, yeah, 100%, yeah, Like no tape was safe. After a while, it's just like any <laughs> tape I could get my hands on. Yeah, whether it was yeah, an album, yeah. There was an album on it already <laughs> yeah. or not. And it's yeah. um it's mad to think like um you know nowadays and I I don't want to be critical about social media at all. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Back then. I had no clue what these DJs looked like. I'm 14, fourteen, I'm not going to the clubs. I don't really? know I don't know what they look like, who they are, what they're about. I don't know nothing apart from their name and their playing tunes. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And then yeah. you'd get to like learn what their particular style was. Like Brocky yeah. had a particular style. Yeah. Ron and SO had a particular style. Uh Young Eds. Like they all had their Oh my even, god, yeah, another <laughs> one. Young Hey. <laughs> pressure X as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh pressure. Bad boy. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 It's funny because, you know, they, they it some of the, they were playing a lot of the same tunes but then they had their little exclusives that they got because yeah, they had relationships they in and, then, yeah. Yeah, and they
1: had their own like, like it's like they had their own panache if you yeah, want to call it, about their style totally yeah. totally and yeah. like
0: I literally like I remember um, someone was like oh yeah you know DJ Hype, he's a white dude. And I was like, what? And like, <laughs> like race doesn't matter. But it's course. just one of those things as a kid, you're just like, you just, you have an image in your yeah, mind. Yeah,
1: but the reality is, is that sometimes like, especially like if the media or let's just say the news and they just associate jungle music with mm, black people, which yeah. we all know if, well, I wasn't necessarily there, mm. but we all know that, you know, jungle music was, it wasn't, you know, Navigator used to say it best. You know, it's not a white thing. It's mm. not, a di- it's it's an everything thing. Mm. You know, it's, it it didn't matter what you look like. As long as you got it in your heart, yeah, that's man. all that matters. Yeah. But on the other side of that, there was like that kind of like stereotyping going on that was set subconsciously to some, to some degree. So if you heard a DJ playing a certain song, but you didn't know what they looked like, you would probably initially have the idea that they look like that, mm-hmm. you know? And then when you find out, you're probably mind blown because you're like, "Wow, okay, they didn't—they don't look like that," and you just accept it and you move on, and, and it is what it is.
0: It's a—it's a given that pirate radio was absolutely one of the most influential parts of our culture mm-hmm. at that, especially at that particular time. Say from like mid to late '80s up all the way up to the early 2000s mm-hmm. and beyond. You know, given yeah. that, that there's the legacy of called Legacy of Rints and Kiss as well. Mm-hmm. So. Can you tell me a bit about the inspiration behind the documentary and and how that sort of came into your mind and is there a particular narrative that you're trying to tell? And, you know, just, you know, can you sum up the the sort of general gist behind the documentary?
1: Great question. Um, Really, to be honest with you, I've got to be really honest and I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve. So being a part of Flex FM was my everything. Honestly, it really was. And And in some ways, you know, as a DJ and a producer, everybody expects when's your next record coming out and whatnot, well, one of one of the reasons was because I was so involved in what was going on at Flex. And, you know, I, I'm no longer a part of Flex. It's been two years since I've played on there. Mm. It's been two years since I've really associated myself with that station for, you know, complex reasons. However, when I was there at that time, you know, I had a vision and, you know, Rinse FM had set such a benchmark where you know they were a pirate radio station then they've turned and you know before they turned a legal station into a legal station they their brands were so strong and you know they was releasing mixed cds yeah, and all that kind of stuff and i and i i don't think many people shout that you know it's mm. like oh yeah rinse is legal now they've got their but no their brands were strong yeah before they got their license 100%. which i think helped their case so when i was at flex you know i'd been a part of a few things um like Daniel James, who I'm working with, aka Outlaw, he's um, formerly part of Flex as well. Um, he took me onto a film set. He was filming for a pilot film and I was on set. Now, I'm not going to lie. I've always wanted to be an actor, but I've never really told many people that. And I kind of caught the bug that day. And this film was actually about Pirate Radio based in, in the early 90s, like right. late 80s, early 90s and stuff. Right, so right. I'm on the set and I'm like, Oh, that's how they do this and that's how they do that. What's the floor manager? I'm I, yeah. I was just that annoying guy <laughs> on set just asking all the questions and um he really inspired me, you know, because my energy on that day, I remember um, one of the producers or the directors or someone come up to me and was like, "You know, we really like your your energy. Would you like to come for a script reading?" So <laughs> I got invited to a script nice. reading. And I just wanted, I just love film. I really love film, but I really want to be an actor. I really want to write, which I have been doing. I've been doing, you know, comedy sketches and all that kind Mm. of stuff behind the scenes, but it's not really been something I've shouted about. But I thought to myself, do you know what? What would be a good entry point to just get into film somehow? What do I know about? pirate radio mm. and with doing um the documentaries that i've done before it's like when you ask the question do we have a narrative really we don't have a narrative other than we just want the people that are featured on this film to tell their story sure. without the 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 like the major narrative or the, yeah, or the agenda yeah, 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 which yeah. always turns out to be negative mm. i mean you know um Bear in uk There's a channel that's on on YouTube run by a guy called Charlie who I'm working with, and he's like the executive producer along with Daniel James. And one of the things that we all discussed, we was like, you know what, with this film, no matter what, we want people, no matter who they are, where they come from, we want them to walk away from the film either feeling emotionally attached to the film. And not just people who have experienced Pirate Radio. Let's just say 30 years ago, there was people like, oh my God, that Pirate Radio, you can't go anywhere near that. That's horrible. It's illegal. There was definitely people that thought that. My mum thought that. You know, when I mentioned Pirate Radio, she almost had a heart attack. <laughs> but that is because she was, you know, she had the news on all the yeah, time. Just yeah. just letting the news just, you know, just take over her mind kind mm. of thing. Um, and there is people out there that have their views. But I want, ultimately from in in my personal opinion i would love for someone who had those views to watch that film and be like my god those people really worked hard mm. and they really did something amazing so it's like all of that narrative and agenda is, is just stripped away people yeah. just appreciate the art of what we was trying to do which yeah, was man. just play music yep. and do something with our lives yeah really so so that's definitely one of the uh, one of the reasons why i wanted to do the film um i initially wanted to do something like that in conjunction with, let's just say, FlexFM, because now you've got YouTube, you've got all these things where you can do something independently and do it yourself. But I just always felt like anytime I had an idea, you know, my ideas would just get shut down. Right. So, you know, you get a little bit dis- disheartened. And it's not to say that I had that specific idea mm-hmm. at that specific time, mm-hmm. but, you know, because there was loads of other ideas that I had. And it was just like, oh, now's not the right time or whatever and yeah. so so forth,
0: which is cool, which is fine. But you can kind of run out of steam, can't you? Yeah, and I got burnt like, out, man. Yeah, I got tired. just going to get an idea through here. Yeah, it and does. It's it stifles yeah, creativity in the Yeah,
1: end. It, gets, it gets exhausting. But, you know, a couple of years had passed um, and, you know, I was talking, like me and Dan hadn't spoken for a while. And he was like, oh, do you know, what? I think I've got the idea of I want to start a station. I said, you're mad. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, forget that, man. Like we've achieved the greatness. Like we've just literally, even though we're not a part of Flex no more, but we've like, what What can we do yeah, more man. with a pirate radio station? I was like, do you know what? Actually, let's make a film. <laughs> and then that was that. And then one thing led to another, he started researching on who we could get as like a director of photography and um, to help us with our vision he suggested this person called Charlie, who runs a channel called Bearing UK, where he's done like some independent documentaries. Mm-hmm. But it's like, whereas I've got a strong vision, like even in the cinematic way as mm-hmm. well, like the cinematography and match with the content, you know, it, I got a big up down for this. He was like, look, trust me, Henny, this is gonna work. And we all met up and we were literally all on the same page. Mm-hmm. Within six weeks we were shooting. So we started cool. shooting last year, I think it was like April, May. Okay, And we're doing it independently. Yeah, no yeah. budget, no nothing. Um, Pretty much like shooting it every other weekend. Amazing. So it's not like we've got like this massive budget and it's like, okay, you've got five months to shoot this. Mm. We're just, you know, we've pretty much had like a three month break and we're going to start shooting again on on the 6th of February. So whereabouts
0: are you up to with it then? How, how, how complete do you feel like it is at the <laughs> moment?
1: Well, this is the thing. You know, one person's saying, oh yeah, we're going to get this film done in June. And I'm like, no, we're not. No, we're not like this is if we're going to make a masterpiece if we're going to try and make a masterpiece because the thing is with all the films or not even films but documentaries that i've seen on pirate radio there's been some real good ones but they they were in the 90s Mm -hmm. we're in 2022 yeah we need something now that is going to break the mold in some sort of a way so again even though it's something that might be seen as it's low budget but the content the heart and the like the feeding within mm. the film, and 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 not only that, we're not just concentrating on our generation; we're going right to the start, mm-hmm. all the way through. You know, um, you know, I was speaking to someone called DJ Camilla from LWR the other day, nice one, and uh, Lindsey Wesker from um, formerly of Kiss One Hundred. Right. he was the content. Uh, he was the creator of MTV Base. Okay. And MTV hits and MTV dance. I had like an hour long conversation with him. Wow. I felt like I was speaking to like my like my dad that I, like <laughs> I had because he was just giving me so much knowledge and I was just like, oh my god, this is like <laughs> fascinating. So to get that passion on film and I, and I kept saying to you know it's like I'm speaking to my uncle and my auntie. Yeah. But I'm like, you know what? This isn't about me. I want you guys to really tell it the way how. You felt it the way how you saw it, even if politics comes into mm. it or what, whatever it is, it's got to be real. Man. Yeah, it's got Do to be you know? real. So, so yeah. But um, it would be great if we could finish it this year. That it would be amazing. But uh, they might kill me for saying this. But <laughs> I, 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 I think we will be completed maybe towards the end of the year and okay. probably ha- like out the following year. I reckon because we, we, we want to make something that is just beautiful and amazing yeah. we want to touch people's souls same way what we
0: like same approach with the music it's the same thing with the film nice one man i really appreciate that ethos man and that that moves us on quite nicely actually because i want to talk about your music because um i told you this story when you came down for that interview that we did years ago but there was yeah. um there was a period where i was having a, a difficult time i literally just had like i was basically on the verge of a breakup When i was on i was on the train from like this point to this point in spain i was on my own and i was just listening to your tune over delayed style over Whoa. and over and over again and i was literally just crying because like the 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 emotion of it was just really touching me that is and, deep, um, that is deep Mark yeah yeah well. i remember telling you at the time and you were like wow. wow okay i didn't and i like you teared up and i was tearing up and i was like yeah. "But th- but this is what not just your music but like we're talking about you like your music has that emotional like element to it that I wouldn't say you don't hear in, drum, in dubstep, but there's, there's obviously particular styles within dubstep and there definitely isn't that kind of emotion in some dubstep, mm-hmm. but the music that you were making and the rest of your crew, man, at that point was mm-hmm. like, it just caught me in su- with such a wave, man. And I was just like, D- th- I don't, how did these guys come up with this style? And like, <laughs> you know, and you all had your individual styles within that, that uh, you mm-hmm. know, that that sphere. But it was just like, this is just different, man. And I I really love the fact that there are people that are doing this with the dubstep framework because, you know, when I went out to rave, it was like, there was like Aggie stuff. There was like the really, really like dub orientated stuff. And then hearing you guys, it was just such a breath of fresh air, man. Like really was like, can you tell me about how you kind of, developed that style and then how you guys kind of connected and then how that sort of rolled into antisocial and the, that whole thing man because I, that, that whole timeline is I think such a influential periods of 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 UK music that I don't think really gets to shine that it deserves
1: no thank you Matt. wow that's <laughs> that's really um I've just deeped literally everything what you said and and that's um a beautiful thing for you to even say that, like the honesty and, and the transparency um, to even say that, because I don't hear that all the time, mm. but it's, when I make these records, you know, and I will answer the question, but when I do make these records, that is my intention. Mm-hmm. I want people to feel what I feel, not on the negative end, on the positive end. It's like, okay, you're feeling this way. Well, that's, that's the universe. Like someone years ago messaged me and was like, look, I ain't from your area, but I know what you're feeling. I think they messaged me from Nigeria or something like that. This was years ago. But in terms of, like, developing the sound, I think the best way that I could say it from my story, so obviously being influenced from, like, Soul Mm -hmm. and, you know, Funk Boogie, all this kind of stuff, and and, and jungle music and garage music. Listen, man, you know, those two genres of music, and house music as well, like, which is the mother, Mm. you know, I listen to like Ron Trent in my house all day every day and I listen I don't know who I don't know him personally I was when listening I listen to him his last music night, you know? right <laughs> if, when I listen to him and his cousin Trinidadian deep yeah. when I listen to their music I'm like we share the same spirit Yeah. it's like even with loans. so the, it's a spirit thing mm. but I'm going to be real with you when I when I was starting out as a as a as a producer cuz I was always I'm a DJ first before anything I started making music in 2001 and you got to understand I'm in London, you know, pirate radio. Everything was all getting aggy at the time. It was all getting dark and and as a DJ, yeah, I felt like that at the time, so it made sense and you know, the beats were intricate, they were they were innovative. It was future and I was I was always a part of that. But when yeah, when I started making music, I did I mean these are songs that tracks that no one ever heard but i did try to replicate what i was feeling inside but i was still starting out so you get a little bit lost with your sound and i'm gonna i don't think i've ever said this before but silky had a huge 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 influence on on my life like there's there's no two ways about it and this is this is why because i started making music in a children's home Mm. so i was in care at the time i was eager and i was like fully chatting shit to this guy who was my key worker and I was like yeah I can make beats I could not make beats but I was just saying it to him to reach out It was like trying to make him believe that I could be something or somebody and I think he felt the passion so one day he came up to me and he was like i got something for you because in this children's home it was a brand new children's home and it had a computer suite in there right so he bought me reason and he was like right that's your studio and from that day it changed my life And I remember Silky come to check me at the children's home because bearing in mind this children's home was literally one road away from my actual address. Right. Like, yeah, it's crazy. And Silky lived another road next to it, So Silky could come and check me. He was like, what are you saying? And I'm like, I'm making beats. I don't know how the story went, but all I know is I did not see this guy for three months. He (laughs) (laughs) He just disappeared. And then I think it got to like September or something like that. I think this is like, yeah, 2001. And then he told me, yeah, I'm making beats too. I was like, yeah. And you know what? Looking back in hindsight, I wouldn't say like I was a jealous person, but I was like, I, don't, I didn't get there so <laughs> quick. But, um, and then he said to me, he was like, yeah, guess what program I'm using? And he was like, Fruity Loops. And when he literally said that to me, I thought he was taking a piss. Yeah, yeah. Because course. I was like, what is, <laughs> I was like, what is, fru- what is this? Like, what is Fruity Loops? But um, he broke down a few things for me and I immediately, and when I say immediately, noticed his talent. Now, me and him kind of started off the same, like, you know, making like kind of Aggie music dark. But eventually, you know, I had a computer that um wasn't really powerful, so it broke down. I made a song which I blatantly tried to emulate Bengal at the time. And nice this song. was like so if you there's uh I think it was Big Apple Two, which yeah, is okay. uh Skank and Dose. And when I listened to that track, Dose, I was blown away by it. I was like, wow, because there's like little bits and pieces of the track where put putting some like really beautiful, nice, like soft textures in there. And I was like, ooh, I like that. You know, but I emulated his record and probably destroyed it really. But it was a track <laughs> called Headshaker that I made. Right. And it was just beats and bass. There was no melody, no no soul, no nothing. I was just trying to, em because I think at this point, I think we'd already gone to Ford. So okay. like, we heard the bass, we were yeah. doing Carnival, trying to get like bass and drums and whatnot. But Silky, he invested, he'd got a new computer, he got some speakers, some monitors and whatnot, and he started developing his sound. Whereas I started just concentrating on being the pirate radio DJ. But I was always following what Silky was doing. And as the weeks was going by, he was getting more and more musical. It was almost like, he was like a naturalist, like Lionel Messi Mm -hmm. and Ronaldo. Okay, he's Lionel Messi. And I said this to someone the other day, he just had this, natural ability you know he started playing with keys i think he was probably learning to some degree in school so i would always be in his house and i would be like yeah yeah keep on doing that keep on doing that Mm. all this kind of stuff and i don't know we just shared like that same love for like melody and you know stuff like that but silky by the time it hit like 2002 2003 we was already like local heroes in our area (laughs) doing doing radio and stuff and he was working with a guy called Ben Palmer, who I think founded PMR Records. Yeah, yeah. And that works with Disclosure. So yeah, he he was all hooked up with Ben Palmer oh, from okay. way back then. And one of his, well, I put out Silky's very first release, which was on my label, which is still my email address, Grimy Beats. Yeah, man. <laughs> but it was a doc, and Harry Craze, who produced um, yep. Emily Sandeys um, Heaven, along with uh, Hugo Chegrin, aka DJ Beats, from People Just Do Nothing, and we'll get into that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, the music was like kind of dark, but when Silky was making his own stuff, again, he was just doing his thing. And I just adored everything what he was doing. And I just knew in my soul, when I was gonna get back on making music, I wanted to have a go at doing my thing, mm. you know? But it was like friendly competition mm. to some degree, because sometimes Silky, I would make a track and be like, yeah, man, you you bit me, man. Like, <laughs> you know, but I was like, no, nah, man, it's a spirit thing. It's love and whatnot. But, you know, he's a character and I'm a character in one way. But I think probably um, one of the main people that came in and really cemented our love for what we was trying to do, our vision, is Quest. Yeah. When So I met Quest on a pirate station called Lush FM. It used to broadcast on 107.6. And I met him in 2002. And literally, I was playing a dub of mine and... He walked in the room and he was like, yo, what's that from that day we hit it off. And then I kind of envisioned, I was like, you know what, I've got to hook you up with Silky. And then when them two actually hooked up, that was it. Yeah. So they had their thing going on. I was taking their music and playing it on the pirate stations. There was J5, yep. there was Razor Rector. Yep. And we was, you know, this is before Rinse. So we had React FM, uh, we was going on Lush FM, The Light FM, whichever pirate station it may be. But we was taking these songs and playing them on the radio as DJs. But I just knew, like every week I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get a new computer. The thing cost like 600 pound and I was broke as hell. I had no dough, no money. I was working in Time Records, um, released The Groove, Black Market Records in that little period of time, but I just never could afford mm. a new computer. But by the time I got this computer, and I have to big up this guy called Bert, lives in Brighton. One day I turned up to Corsica Studios and he was like, here you go. And that was it, it changed my life. Wow. The following week, I wrote Arena One and Retro Love in the no space way. of seven days. Huh. And that was that. And, and, and there's a lot that I'm missing out. There was a mm. few like trial and errors in between. So I was like developing my sound, but I was very much, I wouldn't say ultimately just influenced because the spirit You know, from listening to jungle and garage, like the, you know, the the melody and the like arrangement and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, when you listen to music, you can feel it. Mm. When I started writing those songs, every single track that I wrote was based on how I was feeling at the time. Right. And I went through some real dark times of my life, and Mm -hmm. I felt like that was my only gateway to express myself. And the more and more that I understood what was going on, is the more I was like. Yeah, the more I was like, okay, this is what I've got to do. But there were some insecurities because, again, Silky was someone who was doing this all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, trying to do the pirate radio mm-hmm. station, trying to run the record label, working at the record shop. and But I wanted to be a producer as yeah. well. But Silky was a just a dedicated producer. And then Quest came into that. But where Quest comes in, he's very similar to me. He's very emotional. Very, he was very open with his emotions. And we used to talk about that all the time mm. so we would sit there and you know we'll be talking about jay dillard next thing he's writing something that would make me well up yeah, or something okay. like that do you know what i mean nice. or if i was going through a breakup you know like retro love that is based on on confusion of love mm-hmm. do you know what i mean or or political that was based on you know some of the things i started discovering about the world like mm. wow okay this is hard to fathom yeah you know yeah so these christopher that is you know a, a track of feelings that I just cannot put into words. Yeah, You know, I was about yeah. to become a father. So it they really do come from a very
0: deep place. Someone said to me a few years ago, um, I told them that I was a music journalist, and they were like, you, like, how can you write about music? Because music is like ineffable, like it cannot be described. And I was like, I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I yeah. can yeah. describe the technical components of the music, but sometimes, most of the time, like the actual feeling. Because feelings, like, you know, this is going on a a bit of a deep tangent, but Mm -hmm. language, particularly the English language, is so limiting in terms of, like, describing our lived experience. Pretty much saying that the other day, Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's nuts. Like, you know, you have these words or these, like, phrases, especially words in, like, Japanese, German, whatever, that describe... A, a, a particular feeling relating to a particular experience, whereas for us it's like sad, happy, this, that, and it yeah. just boxes rigid. It up. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I, I, I like going back to what I said when when I asked the original question. Like, it's it's amazing because the the framework of dubstep lends itself so so well to the type of music that you were making. Like, I I could never have imagined myself. Hearing like you know those kind of beats with those kind of melodies and chords and everything over the top, but mm-hmm. when you hear it, it's like wow, this makes so much sense. Because mm-hmm. then I can link it back to people like Augustus Pablo, who's playing his melodica over a, like you know dub dub beats. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. C- of course, it makes sense that you can have lots of soulful stuff going on with a dubstep beat because it's actually it's not it's not that hard a beat really if if you if you if you, if you like compose it in that way. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, your your connection with the crew and like how, just how how did it sort of grow into this like antisocial and RIDS mm-hmm. situation? Because that's kind of where I, th- I first started to really hear about you and, and the rest of them. And also like all of you were so adept at like hosting on the radio. It's something <laughs> yeah. like- Thank you. You hear, you like, some DJs just don't want to do it. Like I, I, like going back to Call FM again, like certain times, like the DJ would be on their own without an MC and they're just be like, yeah, so-and-so, it's blah, 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 big shout to so-and-so. And they just, you know that they weren't that comfortable talking on the mic, but then certain DJs would be like, yes, it's DJ so-and-so and they had their own like yeah, persona. Yeah, yeah. And like, I always remember when you were hosting on the mic, you just had this like, persona yeah you know and um i I really rate that man
1: i've got to be honest with you before i answer that question i was listening back to some of my old like rinse shows and i'm like oh my god oh my god like not i I don't know i
0: cringe to some extent the gangster boogie
1: (laughs) (laughs) but i'm proud of it at the same time because i had a lot of heart and desire and i really wanted to do my best to make Everything heard, whether if it was Silky's record I was playing or mine, or whoever's screams or bangers, Malas, mm. whoever. But you know, I, I used to listen to um, a lot of like. So obviously, after listening to like Cool FM, and you know, you know, even stations like um, uh, Freak FM. Mm, so yeah. Freak FM yeah. was a station I used to listen to, and I was like, okay, the music is insane, but these DJs are professionals. Like I used to listen to EZ on there and you just knew you mm, yeah, was man. listening to a professional, mm-hmm. but it was a pirate radio station. Yeah, Sometimes they sounded even better than what you would hear on Kiss totally. at the time. So I don't know, maybe subconsciously that got into my system. But on the back off of me getting onto radio, I was listening to like Delight FM. Don't get me wrong. They had some like good DJs on there and they had some like hosts on there that would present their shows. But it was ghetto. It was just hood. It was like street. You know, so by the time I got into radio, I was so eager. I was like, just eager. I just wanted everyone to just help. I can't even pull it into words. I was just eager as hell. Eager, 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 eager. But how all of that came about. So basically, Silky and Harry Craze, they founded Antisocial. But I was always on the wings right next to Silky. So you could say I was a co-founder to some extent, because me and Silky did meet j 5 Separately but at the same time. Mm. It was in the same area. I was working in the record shop, so that was like one end. That was like one edition. And then I brought in Quest and then I brought in Razor Rector. And then Quest brought in this person, that person, and that kind of formed. And we was we was um playing on React FM. So we would meet up like every week. So if I was doing a show or J Five was doing a show, like that would be like our little gathering. So if it wasn't at the radio, then it would be at Silky's house, which where he's still today, in the same mm. room, where he's got his studio. And that would be our little gathering place there. And I think many things came into play as to how we got onto Rinse. But the truth is, is I was at this point in time, I was working at Uptime Records. And Slimzy used to come into the shop. Nice one. So I'm seeing Slimzy. I'm like, okay, yeah, they're slim. And I'm working with Cameo. And then... Cameo Cameo would be like, oh, Henny does radio. Henny does radio. But he wasn't really trying to support me. He was probably trying to take the piss out of me, (laughs) thinking, oh, yeah, he thinks he knows radio and whatnot because our thing wasn't as big as like Rinses at Mm -hmm. the time. But me and he got talking. What a lovely human being. Really, really nice, down-to-earth guy. We started talking and he's like, oh, can you get me a midpoint? Can you get me a this and that? Anyways, I hooked him up. But whilst I'm hooking him up, I'm like, bro, I'm going forward. And the stuff that I play, it fits. Rince like hook me up. I was saying that for about a year and a half, <laughs> which seemed like ten years at yeah. the time. But one thing led on to another, and then I got on the station. But if I rewind back a little bit, it was actually J Five who got on Rince first, cool. even though I was the one influencing everyone, saying we need to get on this station. But what it was, Johnny Cash was from our area as yeah, well, so he's course. from down the road as yeah. uh, uh, down the road from us. He's he was like Labatt Grove. And somehow, I can't exactly remember how it happened, but J5 started DJing for Black Ops whilst he was DJing with us. But it was a good thing because that was the gateway of, like, the rinse listenership, you could say, getting to know who Silky was, who Quest was, who Henny G was, who J5 was, whatever. Razor Rector as well. Um, But... Honestly, like my goal was to get on rinse because I knew like the association mm-hmm. with rinse FM and Ford, and that and that's before it really became a real marriage. Mm. Because I think after two thousand and six, the marriage was there, rinse and Ford. It was like all the same thing, but there was a point where rinse and and Ford was like kind of separate, but yeah. they were working together, obviously yeah. because of like Genius and and Sarah Lockhart. Um, but yeah, I just remember getting a call one day from a guy called Sterling. And he just randomly phoned me up. He's like, oh yeah, I got your number. Yeah, I've been hearing some good things about you. I think it was Tubby, DJ Tubby. Oh yeah, Cause Tabby used to come down to Uptime Records all the time. So we used nice to all on. like kind of conversate and go to the pub afterwards and get literally annihilated. <laughs> and, and then one day he just phoned me up and he was like, well, yeah, we've been hearing about you and yeah, we want to give you a show. And I'm telling you from now, when I received that information, Yeah, it was January 2006. I literally ran into the street and I screamed. (laughs) Because I was very passionate, like J5 was like like a dub plate man in the mix, which I was too, but I'd done a lot of training on radio, just like everyone else had done. But at that point in time, I was like, I'm actually serious about being a broadcaster in my own way, because you know, you know, people from the grime team were like, yeah, honey, you know, when we listen to you, know, we listen, you know, <laughs> like real like street dudes from the hood and that. And that kind of gave me the confidence for me to go ahead and yeah. just achieve what I wanted to achieve. But yeah, when I got that show, that is where everything changed for a lot of us because I first got a four hour show. Um that was on a Monday. It was like a three to seven show and I was playing two hours grime, would you believe it? And two yeah. hours dubstep. Yeah. But then J5 had his show. But at that point in time, you know, like, Rince was like a full-blown pirate station, but Sarah Lockhart came in and then she started to change a few things and that's where they started to apply for the license. I think, yeah, I remember they actually pulled us in and they were like, right, um, we're, we're going to be moving into this property where we're having the meeting. Mm. It was like in Bromley-By-Bow on okay. like the... um like the dual carriageway right there and it was like in this library place it was really strange because usually all the pirate locations were like shitholes man but this was like quite a nice place (laughs) I was like okay and they changed a lot of things and they changed it from it just being a direct pirate to it being rinse.fm it was Mm -hmm. the internet so there was all these things that came apart but when I got the show and when J5 was on there we used to do a lot of back-to-backs or cover each other and all that kind of stuff and then the station started keeping tabs on Silky and Quest as producers. And then eventually that, you know, they got their own shows. But right. then the weird thing is, is that they I, I, w- I remember saying to them, get Silky and Quest on there. And they were like, No, 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 no. And I was like, Are you not hearing their music? Like, but in the end, they gave in and then they got shows. But by that t- by the time that they established themselves on Rinse, I'd already like kind of moved away um, mm. from the station which was heartbreaking mm. but for the sounds and for the culture of what we was trying to do it literally changed all of our lives because j5's bookings went through the roof my bookings went through the roof you know at that time i introduced silking quest to malo because obviously mm. we was going to dmz and mm. I, it, it's almost like you could say we was just literally in the right place at the right time but also mixing with the hunger and desire that we actually had You know, so, but I would say like I was a driving force behind that. But each and every person had their own thing which was beneficial to them
0: or the crew at the time. So, can you take me back to the inception point or the inception periods of dubstep when it was finally like there was a new genre starting to take hold that you were aware of as being something that was like, I haven't heard anything like this before, and I'm in a club forwards plastic people this is different and i want a piece of this
1: yeah oh absolutely um so listening to pirate stations like um delight fm so solid cruise station and you know what they don't get a lot of big ups for this because I used to listen to their DJs and a lot of the DJs from So Solid as well, included Oxide as well. And he would play like these tunes, like from like Zed Bias Mm. and like Steve Gurley, you know, and i would be like, what is, this is different. Like, like I was immediately connected to the groove of what was going on because it just sounded so different Mm. to what was going on. I I knew even before I was a producer, I just knew the level was up and it was just different. Mm You know this is at the age of like 12 13 14 um so i would listen i would listen to like a lot of shows on on on, on delight or lusher FM or just any pirate station where i could hear an interest in dj but where i think it really changed for me was going to black market records and going to big apple records right so there was like key situations like me and sarah i mean <laughs> Bless her like, you know, she, I don't think she took me and Silky seriously when because we we could barely see her over the counter. We <laughs> was like walking there thinking, like, yeah, give give us a white label underneath the counter. And sometimes she would look at us like, Really? <laughs> but then we was consistent. We would come there every other week and we like these labels that she was either associated with or what she was running, like, I don't know, Stealth People. Or she started Road or Temper, Soldier, all these labels. Like, we was after that stuff, especially me as well. I remember um uh, Dark one, uh, Orish J. There was a track called um, Pipe Dreams, which um, came out, I think, around 01. And I remember Silky getting the promo of that, and I just rated it. I was like, "You're done. You're know, like, getting that, you know." But I just kept on following, like, like you know, the movement and what was going on, and I could tell, like, she was associated with all this stuff, and then she she kept meant because there was this confusion with the youngs young stars, youngster and young star so yeah, there was musical yeah. mob musical mob pulse x uh, and that was written and produced by dj young star but she said oh my brother's called young star and i was like oh the one that made pulse x. and she got really upset <laughs> she was like no 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 no, no. and all this guy kind of, I, rem- I remember that so well but then i started differentiating who was who and so on mm. and so forth but then we started making journeys to big apple and hatcher one day like he got used to seeing our faces. And he was like, yeah, come down to this. It's gonna be the one. And I looked at the flyer and I, saw, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I think there was like Martin Larner, uh Zed Bias, Heartless Crew, Lombardo, I think, um, like names like that. And it was the very first one at Velvet Rooms. Right, and yeah. That, yeah. That, that was it. <laughs> that shit changed my life. And I never went back and I was a little bit scared because it stopped after going to a few of them, it stopped and there was no forward. there was no nothing. So I kept going into the shop in Black Market and then this is where me and Youngster actually got quite close. So he was kind of giving me like, oh, don't worry, Ford's coming back, It's moving to a new club. And the very, very, very first forward at Placid People, me and Youngster went together because I was working at Release the Groove. So this was, this would have been, if I'm not mistaken, I think I'm quite accurate here, but it might be a month off, but it was September, 2002. Wow, and I okay. went to the very, very, my God, that's 20 years. That's 20 years ago. Yeah, that's 20 years ago where it moved to, to Placid people. And I went to the very first one and that sound system, like actually, we actually had a test press of Silky's first release, which I put out on my label. Yep. And we gave it to Youngton, who was like, oh, you're gonna play it, you're gonna play it. And he played it. And I don't think Silky came with me that day. And I went rushing back to him and I was like, Youngster plays your tune. I was like, you've got to come to this place. You've got to come to this place. And he didn't come for a while. I I think for a long time, he thought I was chatting shit, to be honest, (laughs) but, you know, I think, you know, the word started to spread of what this thing was. And then before you knew it, he started coming there and Mm -hmm. everyone, you know, but for me, it was just like keeping tabs of what was going on. And, And Youngster, I would say he was definitely the person where I kind of built a relationship with. Again, you know, I, I wrote a few tracks. Um, I wrote this track called Headshaker. Yeah, man. Sarah was this close to signing it. I remember sitting in, in her office in ammunition in in Brick Lane mm-hmm. and there was this guy called Corey Johnson. I'll never forget his name. Corey Johnson and he run this label called Defenders. If you Google him, mm-hmm. you'll see about him and he's you know done bits and pieces. But he was in the office and he came with LB. So right. I'm 16 years old <laughs> sitting in the office to talk with Neil and Sarah about signing my track. And I'm like,
0: LB. Right in front of me. I,
1: and honestly, you know, like when you say, "Oh, you don't know who this person looks like," and when I, I don't know who said it, and someone said, "Yeah, that's LB," I was like, I was just blown away. But anything that happened with Ford, it was like I think it was a, a once a month situation on on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. I bro, I had no money in my pocket these times. Like probably all the forwards for a long period of time, no dough somehow i would get myself there (laughs) and i would just educate myself on what was going on and i just never and i just loved the sounds like listening to people like like mark Mm one who's now solado
0: yeah he's like
1: one of the the biggest house djs out there
0: yeah
1: yeah. um but mark one he had a huge influence Mm. on what i was doing um plastic man who's Mm -hmm. now known as plastician he would so, Youngstar and Plastician—they were the first two DJs to ever play my music at Forward, and it was this track called Head Shaker, which is actually a dubstep. I don't even think you can find it on, on, um, on YouTube or anything hmm. like that. But I do remember, uh, not Youngstar, um, Plastician played it about a good ten years ago on Rinse. and he actually said, "Look, this is a you know a rare situation," and I just felt like, "Wow, if these people are playing my music, then I can be a part of this." Totally. But it was frustrating because it was like in one aspect the door was shut. In one aspect, I was there, I was going to Ford, I was rubbing shoulders with Sarah and Youngst and whatnot, but I wasn't from Croydon and I wasn't from, you know, I was from Hammersmith, do you know what mm. I'm saying? You know, the pirate station that I was a part of had nothing to do with yeah, the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was still trying to champion that sound. Yep. So it was really, really, really hard to to come through. And to be honest with you, Silky was making a name for himself in, in the grime scene. You know, he'd like released a couple of EPs here and there. Um, he he produced for lay who's like a well-known, respected female I'm seeing yeah, in, in the grime scene. I kept saying to Silky, I was like, bro, we're free here. There's there's no rules. Because with grime, as much as we loved grime, but it was like at that point in time, some people might not make sense of it, but at that point in time, people just didn't thoroughly understand what we was trying to do. Yeah, yeah. But when I look back in time, it's because we were ahead of our time mm. to some degree, you know? Mm. So it was more of, it wasn't like, oh, we don't like grime no more. No, I lo- listen, the energy in grime, the, I listen to grime records now and I'm like, wow. Yeah, because I always say grime and dubstep is brother and sister music. Yeah, they were yeah, both completely. born out of a
0: garage and, at the same time. And there was a time where there was not really any distinction at all. So what I, what I want you to do is, can you walk me through the door of Plastic People and Tell me what's going on in forwards. Like oh, what? Yes. What was it actually like being in that? Because I I've been in Plastic People, but I haven't been to Forward, so I don't know what it was like being in that room with that sound system. Yeah,
1: I I got to be honest with you. So when I first ever went there, I mean, look, I went with Youngstar. Youngstar is 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 the brother of Sarah Lockhart. So when I would go there, I wouldn't be turning up there halfway through the night. I'd be getting there before anything is on, before the decks is on or anything. So I'm just there. And for a long time, I would say for about a year or two, Ford was empty. There was hardly anybody there. The vibe that it was at velvet rooms was completely different. It's like they had to start all over oh, again. Wow. Having said that, by the time like either if Hatcher would get on the decks or youngster would play Lombardo or, or landslide, um, you know, whoever it may be. It's like, there would be like 10 people in the dance, maybe 20 people if that, but I think I'm pushing it, probably about 10 to 15 people, all men by the way. Hmm. And the only two women that were there was like, I don't know, like Sarah or Amy, who like works with each other, but it was just all brothers, just guys. And ev- like, so you would, like, you would go down these stairs, you would walk down the stairs, and then in front of you is like the toilets, you turn right and then in front of you you've got like the bar nice part and it's a really nice looking mm. club it was a nice looking club Yeah, man. but immediately before you'd even walked into like what they call like the i, I don't know i mean i used to call it the black room with yeah. the red light yeah
0: that's it with the red light <laughs> and you
1: got the curtain and you got yeah. the curtain but before you could even walk into that space it was the sound system i'm yeah. sure the reason why that shit spread is not only just because of the fantastic music that was getting played on there and the DJs that was just innovating. But that, I think the sound system was a key element to forward just becoming what it was. Because when you went there, when you heard these records, like I, I used to listen to Hatcher on the radio, or I would listen to Youngstar on Rinse. And Rinse, like the way how like they sounded at the time, they would like compress it to, to fight, but the bass would just like cut through. But you wouldn't, in my house, I didn't have like big, like, you know, speakers where I could feel the bass. You would just hear it it in a certain way. So when you were at Ford, it was like, you heard this record, you heard it before, but it just sounded completely different. different. And it reminded me, because I grew up in Carnival as well. Mm. So I, I had that connection, like that sound system culture. But yeah, just, I think as the years went by and when Ford really started to make a name for itself, around the 2004 period. So this is like shortly before Midnight Request Line came out, right. or even Youngster playing it. Um, you know, Digital Mystics coming through, mm. Mala and Koki, Demlock doing that, because Hatcher was playing, I think at that point in time, he was only playing like four artists, like Benga Scream, Benny Ill, or Horsepower, and whoever, and that was it. You know, Youngster had his his people who he was playing, but the way how it was all developing, like in there I mean one week there'll be like 100 people then 200 people and then before you knew it they had to like I think by the time it hit two thousand and five six, they had to make it like every week or something like that it's a bit hazy for me but back those days real talk you could smoke weed in there this is before 2006 I think when they brought the smoking ban in there so it wasn't really a situation where people were going there and taking pills and Mm. ease and all that kind of stuff I mean maybe they were but I didn't see any of that it was just people just weeded out. So when the bass yeah. and, and the melody and the drums, was, doing, everyone was just indwelled in what was going on. And then one of the things that I can remember as well, is that there was just a bag of man at the front, just watching Hatcher or Youngster, just watching over, just, at, and I was that guy as well, just watching, <laughs> what's this tune, what's that tune? So it was like, we was all students in university. Yeah. That's 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 exactly what it was for me. And it was it was just vibes, man. I mean, we'll we'll never ever get that back. Mm. Never ever ever get it back. We can try and recreate it, but that feeling of something that it, because remember that music at that time, it was new, it was fresh. And it was based around like on one end of it, it was like young people because Benger and Scream are like a year younger than me. So at mm. that time, they were like 14, 15. Yeah, man. You know? And then on the other end of it, you had people like Code Nine, who was a little bit older than us, and he he was like doing his thing. And then, you know, you had Digital Mystics coming through and yeah, man, it it, just the way how it all worked out and just being a part of that. Yeah, it it changed my life and it saved my life as well because you know I was going through a lot of bad things personally and that was just like an escape. Mm. But as much as it was an escape, it was inspiring me for me to go somewhere and make some music and somehow get my music played on there. So by the time it hit 2000 and I think, was it 2007? And then they asked me, I can't remember if it was me, I think it was me and J5 or me and Silky first, but then April 2007, they asked me to come back and I headlined there. And I literally, I when, when I got the call, I cried my eyes out because I'd waited so long to play there. And by the time I played there, it was like, literally, it was completely ran. Like you could, I've got the photos, you could see from front to back of just people, a sea of people. And then eventually Ford like kind of outgrew plastic people and then they took it to like rinse versus forward yeah, and, then the ends yeah, and yeah. All doing things at like fabric and, and stuff like that even though forward crazy he always says this the very first forward
0: was actually at fabric right was actually at right. fabric yeah nice so um what about the the youth work side of things because I'm, I'm really interested in um you know you, you had this period of your life where you were in care yourself mm-hmm. and there was obviously uh, a nurturing element to that that then inspired you to go. I want to do this for other young people. And how did you make that shift from forward to DJing, producing, making a name for yourself, rinse, and then you know making that transition from I guess being like the the jack of all trades artists, yeah, radio host, etc. And then you're you're in youth work. Like how how did that how did you make that happen for yourself?
1: Yeah, so so we're probably touching around 2013. So around the time when my album came out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know the truth is as much as I wanted to gig out every single week, but you know bookings started to slow down. Not completely dry, but they just started to slow down a bit. But I, you know, in some aspects, looking back in hindsight, it was alright because I wanted to be a father to my children. You know, there's nothing worse than gigging out every single weekend and not spending time with your children but um, when you're like self-employed if you want to call it that and literally all the money you're depending on is gig money yeah if that starts to slow down yeah you've got stress. to rethink a situation so yeah, it was man. it was a little bit of stress and you know the mother of my children um, the, the my ex-partner but you know she's the mother of my children at the time you know she was like oh well you do know you're gonna have to get a job and I'm thinking <laughs> okay but I thought about it and I was like nah I'm a dad I have, to, I have to step up but I just knew then I just did not want to do a job that I didn't enjoy mm-hmm. because I didn't like me and Silky we did and Quest we did market research in like 07 and we weren't in that six months later we was already starting to talk things did pick up for us but I just knew doing a job like that I was like this is a bit no disrespect to anyone that does a job like that because everyone's got to eat you know and do their thing but for me I just found it soul distrain because yeah. all of the jobs, the majority of jobs that I had were in the music industry, the yeah, record shops or a record label or distribution company. Almost
0: impossible once you've been working in in any in anything in your life that you've really enjoyed that's creative or just like fills your soul with joy, to then go I'm going to do something that's soul destroying. Like, it's just, it's impossible.
1: And I was very aware of that. Mm. Like, very, very aware of that. And I think the more I spoke about it with people who didn't understand me, it just created some sort of like, not divide, but they just didn't, they just did not get it. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I must say this without mentioning any names, one person said to me, Oh, why don't you just go and get a job at Sainsbury's? And this is whilst I was touring and earning a good amount of money Mm -hmm. every single week. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, now this is crazy, but certain people are programmed to think a certain way. Exactly. But again, you know, when it came to the stage of when I had to find some work, I was like, do you know, I've always wanted to work with children just to give back. How can I give back? And the story is, so basically I moved to Windsor in 2008 from Hammersmith unexpectedly. I just ended up there. And I think it was about, I don't know, about three, four years in, something along them lines. And one of my neighbors knocked my door. I don't know how I don't even know how she found out about this. And she was like, Oh, I heard you looking for work, thinking, he has been talking about <laughs> business? And I was like, Okay, and she was like, Well, there's this guy called um Noel Simpson, and he used to be in the group Damage. As soon as I heard Damage, I was like, Oh, oh my And I
0: gosh. don't
1: know the I don't know any of the other names. I just know Jade, who's the yeah. partner <laughs> of um, Emma Bunton yeah. from Spice Girls. Yeah, man. So I've immediately googled. And I was like, oh, that brother, I was like, okay. (laughs) She's like, yeah, he's like one of the managers and they're looking for youth workers. I think you'll be really good for it. And I was like, right, this is me. I, I have to take this opportunity. Went and linked up with him, and and by the way, he's like one of my best friends now. He no was at my house way. the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell
0: him Ghetto Romance is like my <laughs> tune, man. Yeah. You don't understand. No, that is that is a bang. I'm not it's even. One, gonna lie. I think it's one of the best UK R and B tunes. 100%, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, Hundred so percent.
1: I'm very underrated as yeah, well yeah. overall with the the things that they contributed Mid-time. on that side of yeah. stuff. Because you know, I remember going to um, you know, friends' house in the mid nineties. So as much as I was listening to jungle, let's get real. We was all we had a little spice girls on the side and a little <laughs> you know I, I don't know who was the other groups at the time like all saints yeah all saints all yeah ones, you yeah, know man. like that was in and around us that was yeah. you know the culture you know we used to sit in front of the TV on a Friday and watch top of the pop so yeah, like there's
0: I'd I, like sorry to cut in but like yeah yeah the, yeah I have this thing of like, I don't think there's anybody that can claim that they were listening to quote-unquote cool music when they were a kid or even in their teens because we're just surrounded by all this stuff. 100%, yeah. Like, Top of the Pops was so influential for me, man. Absolutely. In fact, I think... Alongside my mum listening to reggae and stuff, that was the that was the seed that was planted for me because that was the only night of the week I could stay up a little bit later. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah, to watch yeah. Top of the Pop. Yeah, hundred percent.
1: Yeah, I can, I can relate to that. So, you know, that that's a, a brilliant point, you know, as much as I was involved in that stuff and I was the weird child, but we definitely had pop music around us. And you know what, that, the older that I get, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't listen to that. Let's get real. You know, we're all influenced in in, mm. in in some shape or form. I think when you get to a real certain age, don't get me wrong. When it hit 2001, two, definitely three, I couldn't tell you what came out in the yeah, charts yes. apart yeah. from what was coming from the underground mm-hmm. and what was like crossing over. That's how I kept up with the charts. So there was that period. But, you know, when you're a young, young child, yeah, you're surrounded by Mm -hmm. Top of the Pops. And what was it, CD UK? And all all these things live (laughs) and kicking. And you you was always interested in, like, what artist was going to get interviewed and stuff. So to hear that my next-door neighbor saying that Noel Simpson (laughs) was uh, one of the managers for the Royal Bar of Windsor Maidenhead Council, that was a bit mad. But yeah, working with him, um, was was great i I was I was basically a volunteer for like the first year or so and then he started asking me about you know what because you do this Dj stuff because he knew about my career once I'd explained to him. And we had this mutual uh, respect for each other. And he was like, do you know what? Why don't we do like a summer program or ESA program, do some DJ workshops or music production workshops. And I think at the time they had a little bit of money. So they started investing into like one of the like buildings that they had and they built a new studio and stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, that was pretty cool doing that for a good few years. And, and that's actually how I met. It's really hard like saying this now because he's like corrected me on this so many times. <laughs> but so it's big be- it's because of i would say noel was the catalyst as to the situation that i'm in now mm-hmm. um and um <sighs> sam mcgregor right so sam mcgregor was one of the the young people that was coming to the youth center okay. and me and noel would watch this guy and he had like this you know guitar and he he would play brilliantly and he would sing really nice and I mean, we would, well, Nobel was more of the tease. I was more like, you've got the talent, don't listen to him. And we would be like, he's going to be the next Ed Sheeran, you know? It turns out that he was hosting his own Radio 1 show last year and this year. Brilliant. Yeah. And Brilliant. then he was the person that technically introduced me to Zach, who's sitting next to me. Um, And basically he played me some music and immediately I was like, okay, whoever this is, I'm going to work with him. I I said some crazy stuff in my head, like, you're going to be my engineer. It's like, actually what I was saying, you're going to be my Rob Playford. (laughs) Like, you know, like Goldie's situation. And it's, I mean, obviously our situation is completely different, but it's turned out to be that way. And we've like been working together, I'd say, officially for like the last four years. Amazing. Um, But we've known each other for like the last six years or so. And we've just been helping each other in, in any way we can. So, I teach him stuff, he teaches me stuff. There's no... There's no part in our relationship where it's like, oh, well, I know it all. No, because we're all, we're always learning because I know I can provide and he can provide. But, um, you know, we're like brothers now and we're family. And he started an organization, a business called Nebula Music Limited, which is based in Maidenhead. And that has literally been my holy grail, my savior as to still wanting to be the artist that I want to be. Because when I say this, when I wrote my first album, when I started it, I started writing an album without actually me knowing I was writing an album yeah, yeah, yeah. in my in my bedroom when I was living in Hammersmith and then I moved out. And then I remember my computer, I, I had no association with it for six six weeks or so. And I just remember that literally, it, that was soul destroying. Yeah. I was like, I need to make music. And then by the time I got my computer back, I was living in a bedsit. And these times now, like I'm starting to gig and stuff. When I wrote Candy, I was sitting on the fridge.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Whereas now you fast forward to 2022, and it's a professional situation yeah. uh, around me, and and that's not that's not down to me. That's down to Isaac Ray. He's mm-hmm. sitting next to me, and he's he's one for the future. So we've um, been working together, and we got some amazing projects that we're working on. He's assisting me on my album. But again, imagine if I never did the youth work thing. I just don't know if I would be here saying all of this stuff. So it's just crazy the way how how things work work how it works out but I just knew making that decision working with children it's not that I wanted anything back from it mm. but um yeah I just knew it would be something that would be rewarding and it's
0: gone beyond that I interviewed uh Lauren Garnier towards the end of last year and he um he sent out he's like he has, obviously has his promos sent out like most artists do and his promo went out to a guy called Rosh who's now called works of intent who wrote the letter to RA a couple of years ago and um, Roche wrote back to him and said, yeah, you could do with adjusting the levels here and blah, blah, blah. And just basically critiqued, like, the production side of it, the technical side of it. And rather than Laurent being this, like, egotistical person, it was like, nah, shut up, who are you? He was, like, he emailed him, like, can you come and help me with my music? Yeah. yeah and now yeah, they yeah. have this relationship where, That's like, you know, bro. yeah. And, like, Roche is probably about half Laurent's age, but, like, you know, the I think the greats, out there are the ones that are always open to learning and always open to connecting with people that are much younger than them because we can we can both learn from each other. It's not it's never Absolutely. a one way thing. Absolutely.
1: I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's <laughs> it's like even with, with, with finishing the final mix on of my of my latest twelve, um, life and she's called. I'm not going to say the label just yet because that needs to be announced officially from the label. Mm-hmm. And you know, Zach's got like ideas of how. Things should be done, and I've got ideas. So, we've been learning across like four or five years of like trying to have the marriage of Mm. what he thinks and what I think. Because I've still, look, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm an engineer Mm -hmm. by any means, but I know how I want my stuff to sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, he's someone who is actually trained, like, Mm. you know, he's trained and he's gone to university and he's got his dues. So, it's trying to put a mix of like, I don't know, like you could say in one aspect, the Mm hoods and paper but then I know that's literally just come to my mind, but that is the way how it is with our thing. And yeah. with me sitting there saying, do you know, cause sometimes, you know, like Zach said certain things to me and I'm like, oh, I don't know if this works, but then I'll go home and I sit there and I think about it. And I'm like, actually, maybe I should yeah, try it." Yeah. So it's, a, it's challenging, it is, but you know, it is. he's getting to know me and I'm getting to know him, but mm. I want, I want to collaborate. I want to, I've always, wanted to work with an engineer, not just to engineer the music, but like a, a co-producer, because I, I know I can do it all by myself mm. but I kind of feel like if I'm gonna take my next projects up to the next level, especially with this album, you know, some of the greatest producers that are that are out there, people who's written music, you know, they've not done it by themselves. No, you know, no, they've no. had a team of people around yeah, them. And, and that's yeah. something that, you know, I'm I'm someone who when I was growing up, I just used to read credits, mm. just credits upon credits upon credits. Who did this? Who did that? I was doing that from the age of like four or five. Mm-hmm. My dad could tell you. And that was really important to me. And I kind of feel like going through electronic music, you you saw them credits disappear. It was like written, producing. Yeah. It's all one person. Yeah, So yeah, it's yeah. like I'm kind of trying to go back. And whereas obviously I come from the generation of reason or fruity loops or fl studio if you want to call it that or cubase Mm -hmm. by the time when i came in it was like you didn't need to have the hardware you didn't need to have 30 grand to get big mixing desks xyz and whatnot you could just literally do it all on one computer and it's all you Mm. and somehow that was a platform which i i i kind of took advantage of and i was able for me to find my artistry through that but i feel like if i'm going to develop the way how I want to, I kind of want to go back to roots subconsciously in a certain way. So, yeah, I, I really think that's important to my development. And and again, I'm just like, do you know what, even though I've done an album before, I feel like I'm only just getting started. Out. Yeah,
0: man. So let's talk a little bit about the album. And then I think I've got one last thing to cover and then we'll mm-hmm. be done. So um, what's the general direction of this second album then? And uh, and how does that compare to the first?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, with Adulthood one of the things that I wanted to do because it's like it could be a trilogy in the end but it's a, it's a story so it's, I mean childhood was a story without words you know that's that's the way how I see it how I feel it in my heart but when I was writing childhood I would always sing songs in my head I would always have words in my head thinking wow, if this got vocal, this could work, depending maybe if I shift the arrangement a little bit and so on and so forth. And it would play on my mind a little bit as I was like, oh, maybe I could have got this song made and whatnot, but I was very unorganized back then. I was a bit of a mess. Some people might h- find that hard to fathom, but you know, when your brain's going at like a hundred miles per mm-hmm. hour, it's like, what do you do? But then I thought, no, 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 let me just guide myself to one lane and just stay on that lane. And I did that. And I think towards the end of doing Childhood, there was a few tracks that I made, because yeah, if not every every track on that album is all 140 BPM, but I'm a jungle man. You know, Childhoods, you know, I think that's slightly like around 143. And I was like writing these tracks around 2011, 12 predominantly. And it's just like breaks. Hmm. I'm just like loading up breaks and you know, they didn't have to be at 155 or 165 or 168 or 170. I'm like doing breaks at like 130 125. Right, right, nice. In fact, my last 12-inch that yeah. I released, which was written and produced by myself and co-produced and engineered by Isaac Ray. Um, it was, uh, so it's just, it's called Watch This Happen on mm-hmm. the white label. And, and the aim is to get that track on adulthood. And I do listen to that record and it scares me. It really does scare me because I'm like, whoa, this it, that track kind of reminded me that right I definitely have to write an album because <laughs> it's but the thing is with all these tracks I want to work with singers I want to work with artists but I need it to come from my pain mm. and my story so I'm trying to like develop I mean probably about a year ago you know means that like we'll be in the studio and we'll just mess around we'll be like writing just you know seeing how this sounds on top of this and that. But I, I suppose I'm very insecure in one aspect because singing for me is something that I've always wanted to do, but mm. it just went past me. Yeah, same, Because right? you know. Because it went, it went mm. past me because I just was the DJ or the producer. Mm. And being around, again, like Zach and another guy called Payman, um, also known as Joe to me, um, they were like, no, Henny, you know what? You, you, you got vocals, man. You should." So they've been lifting up my confidence. Now, some tracks I'm like, okay, maybe I can make this sound good. But in other tracks I'm like, do you know what? Okay, I can write that, but let's get another singer yeah, for that. For sure. And that's what, listen, I listened to I listened to what was it? Um, Timeless the other day. Yeah, yeah. And I have to listen to that album at least a, a few times every other month to kind of remind me of what where I want to go not to say that I'm trying to copy that in mm-hmm. any shape or form but I just feel like you know Goldie was just so free with his vision mm-hmm. it's like I need to remind myself okay whatever this is that I'm working on just be free with it mm. and get lost into oblivion mm. not to the point of delusion No. but like just believe in what you want to do mm. because you know without going into it you know I do feel like the talk between a lot of especially like in the dubstep scene you know, I, I feel, I don't want to be limited. Yeah. You know, I, I want to yeah. see myself as a true artist and someone who creates mm. without any boundaries at all whatsoever. And I feel like with this album, I'm at a crossroads at the moment. So it's like, I'm definitely a, you know, the dubstep guy, if you want to call it that, but I'm I'm just music, man. I grew up on Garage, I grew up on Dub. Mm. Like, do you know, I, I, I was listening to Tears for Fears the other yeah, day man. and Simple Minds.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like,
1: you know, the first record I bought was still crazy. Like. I just want to be influenced and just create. I don't want any boundaries. I'm sure that there will be a skeleton that you work by, totally. but I just don't want to be um, you know, held, held back by what like, people say or anything like that. So I'm trying my hardest to work in incognito at the moment. But one of the main things with this project with adulthood is that I actually want to write a short film. Oh, nice! To the album, brilliant, and it's based on my life, yeah, on the okay. things that I've actually gone through in the ten years. So it kind of explains as to why, yeah. maybe I haven't been as prominent as what people expect me to be. I w- I really want to attach my true story mm. to to the music, and whether if it be amongst instrumentals or music that's vocal, that that's important to me, and that's why, you know, I had to slow down and be like, well, okay, I'm not ready to do this yet because I need to write. Any time I go through like a bad situation, in secret. Whereas ten years ago, I could start a loop within two hours. Oh, listen to this. I'm eager to tell everyone. Now I'm trying my hardest not to do that. So I'm just trying to develop something. So I've been silent about a lot of things, but we're trying to, <laughs> yeah, trying to build something beautiful and and deep and and something that
0: everyone can connect to. You know, I'm really looking forward to all of this coming to fruition, man. Yeah, really, me um. too. So um, just to wrap up, it it's amazing, isn't it? How, um, there's this, we're, we're like the offspring of sound system culture. Like, you know, first of all, pirate radio, the environment that we grew up in, you know, our peers and just this, this whole, it's like, I don't even know if like culture is even the right word cause it's, it feels even bigger than that. It's just this, this whole lifestyle, this whole like way of being, influenced so many of us it's so ubiquitous like so many people that I've interviewed from London in particular because it's very particular to London have just all come from this this same lineage and it's just it's just amazing isn't it like and how many different genres have like sprung from from that as well definitely um what does it mean to you to be someone who's been so like involved in so many aspects of this culture that you grew up on yourself and then you've actually, you know, the people, people are now growing up on you and you have this legacy of working with younger people or inspiring younger people just by the fact that you've been an, a name and a face that's been out there. Like, what does that mean to you, man?
1: It definitely means everything to me.
0: Honestly, I'm reminded
1: every other day about some of the things I was just saying, this is like j- literally just last night. And I'm like, do you know what? what like, so, like the messages that people send me, it might not be all day, every day, even if it's just that one and you you can really tell like when someone really genuinely means something mm-hmm. the way how they say how it had an effect on their life but then i gotta be honest i gotta be really honest in one aspect i forget and i don't know if i forget because of a, a negative or a positive situation because it's, it's very strange like one minute i'm living at home I've got a girlfriend. I've got my kids with me, and then my situation has just changed. And then I'm literally on my own. And then I'm, I'm like depressed, and mm. you know, self medicating, and all these things. Like it's really deep. Mm. And sometimes, like I, I've many of the time, I felt so detached. Especially like when all the gigs and the booking stops, and you know, you don't see the community anymore, and so much, and yeah, you forget. But then there'll be a random day where I, like I got to pick myself up. And I will put on my album and I will listen to it and literally it will be maybe once or twice in the year at home. Maybe at the studio I'm always playing it all the time, <laughs> you know, just to show them like, yeah, this is, how I want to try and do stuff. But yeah, sometimes I put the album on and, and it does remind me of the things that I've achieved. and not just by myself, along with my musical brothers, Silky, Quest, J5, Razor Rector um, and, and many others as well. You know, I'm, I'm really sorry if I haven't mentioned your names, but to be, yeah, you know what? I'm really, really proud of just being a part, and not just as an artist, just as a fan, as a fan. Because mm. honestly, mm. sometimes in in one aspect, like if you look at it in one way, I feel like I love other people's music more than what I'm doing. Because I'm, I, I just like if I love something, I love yeah. it. Like, yeah. I really, <laughs> really love it, and that's why I always say I'm a DJ first because I love playing other people's music and believing in their music and showing them that I believe in it. So other people can catch on to that mm-hmm. energy and then they can understand. So, you know, but as a, as a fan to be a part of that, oh my God, it's just like, wow. You know, and, and that's how I know that we'll never get that time back. That time is in that time. All we can do is do what we do for now. But it would be nice at the same, I mean, I'm probably gonna contradict myself here, but it would <laughs> be nice to have something, you know, cause there is something that I'm working on with a brother of mine called um, Braindead, who's an incredible producer. In fact, it was at his studio where I wrote tracks like back in the day in 1985, the ones that never got released. He's my brother from another mother, another one who's always, always looked out for me. You know, he always had his own thing going on and he never asked me for a damn thing. I love the guy to pieces and we're still brothers to this day. And we're trying to work on something where it's like, oh, can we bring like a little forward vibe back? Mm. But today Mm. and now, so that's a little sat and satin, but hmm. we ain't really, you know. But um, yeah, that I mean, Joe Muggs um wrote this book. I can't remember what the book is called. I don't oh, know. Base, tops and mids. Yeah. And yeah. And, and so one of th- so the guy base, Joe pa- pops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the guy who I mentioned, Joe Payman, who I met in very similar situations uh to Isaac Ray. And um yeah, we've we've got a relationship and stuff, you know, he's an incredible producer as well. And then he was telling me, Yeah, I've got this friend called Lewis. Like he's he's incredible. He makes amazing beats and whatnot and so on and so forth. He's brought him around to my house. He's played me his music. I'm blown away. And then about six weeks down the line, he's like DM'd me. He's like, Bruv, do you know what? I know you were telling me that you'd done these bits and pieces, but I didn't really know. But I've just read you in this book. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was Scream. It was it was Scream who I I, I do you know what? I still haven't read it. This was about a year and <laughs> I think this was in 2020. I've been meaning to order the book. <laughs> oh, I've been meaning funny. to order the book, but I haven't I haven't ordered it. But I said to myself, I said, that's gotta change. I've got to order it, man, and read it. But um, you know, I get mentioned in these in these things every now and then, and I'm just like, wow, I'm really a part of this history. Mm. And it's not just me, it's like many of us. So I'm just really proud that, you know, those days when me and Silky and Quest, especially, you know, J5, Razor Rector, I'm not saying that they were broke, but definitely me, Silky and Quest, because Razor Rector and J5 were a little bit older than us. They Mm -hmm. got like three, four years on us and they were always working people. That's why I respect them. Whereas me, Silky and Quest, we took that risk of not having no jobs and really dedicating ourselves to the music. And I'm telling you, man, we'll be in the studio and we'll like literally have one pound 50 between us and we'll go and get a bag of chips. And that was our meal for two days Wow! just to, you know, and it was the love of the music Mm. and just being around the pirate radio stations and everything that kept us going. every little moment even if it was one little baby step of progression it was like yes yeah you know and we felt it and and we all believed in the vision but i do feel like my energy and my eagerness i suppose my heart and desire definitely was a catalyst for a lot of things and i i used to be scared to say that stuff i'm not no more because i look back in time and i'm like you can't run away from the truth you can't run away from what has been written in history. And And
0: give yourself the flowers as well, man.
1: Well, I try my hardest to let other people do that, but the, you know, Quest said something to me years ago and he was like, look, what are we on this planet for? Like what, especially as artists and creators, what are we on this planet for? The least we can do is at least leave a strong legacy. And Mm -hmm. I never forgot when he said that to me, you know, that meant a lot because it made me rethink, you know, sometimes if you feel depressed or if you feel low, and you're like, you know, because sometimes I've had some crazy thoughts. So I'm like, oh, mm. no one cares with this and that. And it's not to say that, you know, I want the attention. But then Dizzy Rascal said it best when I watching the interview on uh, XO Recordings he said well I'm an attention seeker that doesn't like attention and, <laughs> I, and, I, and I heard that and I'm like that's a bit of me because I do want the attention but I don't at the yeah. same time I want the arts <laughs> to be appreciated but yeah, yeah. I thought putting myself in that situation would be cool but yeah but then I'm saying all of this and I'm aspiring to be an actor and, <laughs> and write films and all
0: this look, kind of stuff so control, it's all we're all contradictions up, in ourselves yeah, man, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the thing in it Definitely, hey look yeah. um, it's been a pleasure chatting with you man and thank you best, so much best of luck finishing notice. up the album best of luck with the documentary as well, man i'm really Thanks looking forward to everything can i just add in just before we go um the documentary is called
1: the last weekend mm-hmm. so um if you guys know that are listening uh you can search me up on instagram at henny gustav or just search dj henny.g or just google dj henny.g and you, you know you'll find it and um yeah we've got some big things coming up in the future but yeah the film is definitely something to look out for and the album
0: Excellent, man. Big respect, bruv. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Big ups, man.